If you've got a Bible on your phone, or if you actually carry a real Bible, good on you, holy people. Turn to the first chapter of Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke. We have a couple Advent readings on hope that I want to get into in a second. But before we do that, um, I just want to share a little bit of our struggle. Um, we are trying to name this daughter we're about to have. We're having a little bit of a crisis. And no, I'm not looking for you to suggest anything because I probably won't like your idea. Because I've got issues. I've got issues. I have uh, scoured every website known in the English language that translates every name that has ever been given to a female. And I don't like any of them. I, I mean, and the few I like. I'm not saying I don't like your kids' names or your potential future kids' names or daughters' names. I'm just saying I probably won't and probably don't at this point because I've, I've over-analyzed names for this child. And Sue and I uh, haven't, we're not like, what would you say, babe? We're not like, we're not like friction-y at odds. We just aren't in like the, the beautiful unity that we like to operate in in every facet of life on this name. Right, we've got some idea, and that actually complicates things. When you know the, the name meaning that you want and you can't find any language that has a word that sounds beautiful in the English language to name a daughter, that's what we're up against. So uh, if, uh, if, you, if you want to just, you know, low-key, you know, send us um, messages from, from anonymous sources or mail, paper mail with suggestions or prophetic words with names, maybe that'll work, I don't know, but just pray for us. But the, the point I'm trying to get at, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, kind of not. I actually think we're going to get pretty close because I, I feel like I'm, the Holy Spirit is wearing me down on this name thing, as he does. You would think that it would get easier. This is the fifth, um, actually sixth child that we've named because we miscarried our first. Um, but but it, it doesn't get any easier. And the reason why it doesn't get any easier um, to name a child is because every child is significant and names are significant. Names are really significant. That's the thought I want as we read the scripture. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. I want you to listen to this as if you've never heard this account. Can we do that? Yes, please. Thank you. And in a town called Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So the first thing you need to know is that there was a man named Joseph who was a descendant of David. That was not an accident. The first thing they want you to know is about this child is that he's coming to a man from a family who was a descendant of King David. And then the next thing they want you to know is that the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. So the one thing we know is Joseph was named. And that he was from a family, David. And that Mary was named. And that she was pure. And the one thing they wanted... The God of all creation wanted them to know about this son was what you were to name him. 
and that was Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. That is the Gospel of Luke's account of the most important information that we need to know about the coming of the Savior of humanity and all creation. Matthew's account, a little bit shorter, goes simply like this. Are we tracking okay? Are you enjoying the scripture? Okay, good. Thank you for that affirmation. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, Matthew says. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to quietly divorce her. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. The angel's first words was to name him and to remind him of his name and his family, who he was his identity. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, who I just named, are to give him a name, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, which was that the virgin will conceive, birth a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Amen. The reading of the word. Okay. So here's what I would like us to do. Three things. Three thoughts. Not a teaching today, just three thoughts. And that is, let's ponder our culture for a moment. We have issues in our culture. There was issues in every culture some of which they even read in the reading. But we have a moment right now where I think we have status anxiety more than any other time. So thought number one is we have status anxiety. Most of us have probably spent a good chunk of COVID looking deep within ourselves and asking some really probing questions. Could you just give me a little nod? Have you, have you spent some time going like, what's the point of my life a little bit over COVID? Yeah. Anyone want to admit they did that a little bit too much? Yep. Not just the Enneagram type force, but many others. Yeah. Many others too. I did. And I'm a seven. We don't do that. We have to. We look ahead. And all this looking behind and reflecting on life. I needed some scripture to sustain me. And so, we live in a culture right now, in a time in our culture where we have probably reflected too much inward 
Now, we don't actually have a negative term for inward reflection. We call that something good. When someone's like, I've been doing a lot of soul searching, that generally is a good thing in our society, right? It means you've been like cutting out the noise and you've been looking in. But here's the issue. The inward journey, the, the mere inward journey, is a reflection of our culture trying to find our purpose and identity inside. And you will never find a satisfactory identity inside you. There is nothing wrong with soul searching. There's nothing wrong with looking deep within yourself. It's just you will never find your identity by looking inward. Society, particularly the society we live in, which is an individualistic society, we have been trained to find our identity inside. And identity is, is pretty simple. It's the core element of, of who you are, where you get your sense of worth and purpose. That's your identity. And here's the thing. When you read these scriptures, Joseph didn't get his identity by looking inside himself. Mary didn't get her identity by looking deep within her soul. And Jesus didn't get his identity by some kind of soul-searching wilderness experiment where he came out and go, I finally realized who I was. In fact, his entire wilderness experience that we know of, his temptation in the wilderness, was only had because his father proclaimed his name and his identity over him. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and led him. Because at that moment, when identity is established, we can start to live out the purposes that are placed on us from a family, a community, an identity that is bigger than ourself, our individual self. And there's a lot of good things about our individualism. Why? Our culture has taken a concept of when you have been abused, when you have not been seen, when you have been broken, when you have been told this is who you are and that's not really who you are, you can break free of that oppression, you can look deep within yourself, and you can forge a new path. That's the American dream. The dream of, it's the dream of individualism, is that your family doesn't define you, an outside resource doesn't define you. And there is some good to that. It's just that we have severed the relational dynamic of the gospel that starts with the reality that who I am does not begin from a place of an internal conviction. It starts from an external one. It starts with a name. This really convicted me. I don't know if anyone's getting this. <laughs> And what we do in society these days is when we haven't gotten that affirmation, because a lot of people haven't gotten it from the home, from their family, from those that are meant to push identity on you as a family. Identity is meant to be from a young age, a child knowing that they're valued, that they're worth something, that their performance isn't what defines them. And yet our culture says, I want you to dream, find your dream, achieve your dream, and if you don't, then what's your purpose and what's your identity? The Lord is all about your dreams. He's all about giving dreams. These two received 
their identity in a dream. But it didn't have to do with their job, their artistic expressions. It didn't have to do with some kind of career aspirations or a ministry that they were going to have. It was a name. And Jesus himself got a name. It was completely separate from his performance, from his work, from his achievement. And Jesus achieved more than anyone else that the history of humanity would ever argue ever took place. And yet, his achievement had nothing to do with his identity. It had to do with him knowing who he was, receiving the name that he was given, being completely secure before he had done a thing. How many of us today are completely oppressed by the idea of what am I achieving with my life? I've been crippled by it without even knowing it. And COVID has not helped one bit. I'd like to put COVID right in the central section of COVID's being. COVID is reiterating what our culture has already been whispering. What have you achieved? What are your dreams? How are you going to live them out? Because your purpose and your value is completely shot if you don't figure that out. And not, not only just figure it out, live it out. And then once you've lived it out, then start comparing to someone else that did it better. And we do this with everything. Uh, and you can do it with social media, you can do it with those that's like you get a million likes and you've got a thousand million followers. And all we've done is we've replaced something called affirmation from your place of origin, from your, from your holy family, and you just found a new family to affirm you. So even though we are an individualistic society, we still get our affirmation from external sources. Every single person in our individualistic culture still is craving affirmation from an external source. You cannot get identity from an inside job. You can't. You will never feel affirmed by looking just deeply within yourself and saying, So number one, we have a status anxiety issue. Number two, we need recognition and validation. And number three, someone has to name you. And all I want to tell you today, that your father's already named you. He started with his son, and this is where the gospel comes in. And I want you to receive the gospel again. Emmanuel, God's with you. And when you receive the son, you continually testify to the gospel of a name that God is with you and he has given his most valuable creation, his son, to you as a sacrificial offering of his love for you to rename you and to adopt you into a family that will never fail you, that will never look to your performance to affirm you. It'll never wait to see how you're going to do to praise you. And all of a sudden we realize that this family we're a part of 
is the complete counterculture of the one we live in. And perhaps if you will re-receive that gospel of grace in your life right now, we can continue to retell the story and invite others in. Retell the story for yourself. Re-listen to him say your name. Re-listen to him adopting you afresh. Re-listen to him saying that there is nothing that your life could possibly do through achievement that he has already finished and spoken over you in this very moment. When we become a community whose entire core identity has broken free of the chains of our society, while valuing how the pursuit of some of the things in our society are 100% noble, the pursuit. The system is flawed. The worldview is flawed. And we need fresh eyes and fresh ears to see and to hear our name spoken over us again. Mary and Joseph were summoned in a moment by remembering their name and what they were to name their offspring. And all of a sudden, they were aligned to the purposes of heaven on earth by one encounter. And I wonder today if we could just ask ourselves a few questions. If you need fresh hope, what are you putting the hope of your life into? I don't mean like I know Jesus is the hope of the world and we're to put our hope in Jesus. And I'm going to gag if I hear another Christmassy little slogan that has no meat and sustenance and depth. We're the people of depth. We're the people that have an experiential exchange with Jesus being my hope. He's not the hope of the world. Because thank God when I die, I get to go to heaven. That might be true to some degree. He's the hope of the world because my identity has been released because I know my name. I know my father. I know my worth. I've had all my shame covered. He looks at me completely naked and exposed. And he says he wants me. And he wants you. And he doesn't want your achievement. And he doesn't want to see what you've built. I'm not even sure he wants to see what kind of better person you've come out of COVID on the other side. Because I honestly think he just wants to release a hope that isn't based on a false expectation, identity, or achievement. When the people of God don't get this perfectly, but anchor their lives on this reality. People will be waiting in line just to be your friend, just to eat at your table, just to play with your kids, just to have coffee with you. Because you release a culture of another world 
that this creation was built to receive. We actually aren't the counterculture. We are the culture. Resisting the one of the dead. And the gospel will never change. Why don't you stand? If you want to close your eyes, great. If my musicians would like to come back up, great. Close your eyes and just ask some questions. Reflect on 2020. What has this year shown you about where your hope really is? I know, your hope's in Jesus, but where is it really? Because my hope wasn't in Jesus this year. My hope was exposed. What achievement is your hope distorted through? What worldview are you looking at hope and still looking to paint your lens of hope through that painting? Are you looking inward for hope or are you looking outward? I want us to look outward today. Outward not at like just the rest of the world. I want us to look up and let the Father release our names. Release our identity. Release who we are. What have you put your hope in this year? And secondly, what are the hopes you've given up on? I think some of us have died some deaths and we've stopped hoping for things that we're supposed to hope for. The gospel is saturated with hope. Saturated. What have you given up hoping for? I think there's a, there's a space right now when you gather with other believers where you may not have been able to go there in your secret place with the Lord. But right now, there may be something up on the shelf you've given up on. Something that's dead, that was never a wound that's never been healed. Something that was life-giving that you've just it's just kind of you've kind of had a burial without a funeral. And some of us are waiting. natural thing in the world is the is life giving birth I mean, we're, we're giving birth but there's there's others that are that are you can even look at that in the natural they want to get married want to have children want to whatever and then they're in the midst of that we're constantly dealing with death and loss and grief and pain in our community almost every month there's there's a couple more people that got pregnant and a couple more people that lost the baby Miscarriage, and most of you don't get to know the the, the, the ups and downs, and it's private and whatever else. But just in the most tangible thing, a birth. The gospel started with a birth, two miracles: Mary, who was never supposed to get pregnant, and Elizabeth, who was never supposed to get pregnant. It's supposed to happen decades before, it never did. And I want this to be literal. Like if you're trusting for a fresh life, I want it to be literal for you. But I also want it to be a word of promise for the kind of God that you serve, that you worship, that you put your hope in. 
always release his life. Even in death, he's releasing life. Some of us have died some deaths over COVID. I believe that this, this other side of this mountain will define us. If we do not cower back in shame and march back down that mountain, picture I got was the father standing at the top and you can't see him until you're about to hit the, the, the precipice his hand is there waiting you cannot summit without his hand but you cannot see him until he's within reach hesitate to give the picture because I'm not even sure I understand the whole picture that I just felt as I was praying this morning. And it's a simple picture actually. And some of us don't even believe that the Father is willing to lend us a hand to pull us up. We feel alone on that mountain. We feel isolated. We watch others drop off as we've tried to make the ascent. We don't have much, we don't have much hope left. And if that's you, I just want to invite you. We've got some communion here. I've just felt such an anointing on taking communion in recent months. Just want to invite you forward as they play, as we worship. Take communion afresh. And then just, just, Hang out up here. You would. We may have some people who just come around and, and just release some encouragement and strength around you. You can take it back to your seat or ask someone else to pray for you, but take a moment. Take 2020. Take the mountain that's in front of you that you have no hope for. And in this moment, just ask the Lord, is he really there? Is he really there to let his hand out? to strengthen you, to pull you up, to name you again, to refresh you. That's the invitation. So join us in communion as these guys play and worship.